Hi, friend. This is John, welcoming you back to I Miss You. How are you? How are you staying in touch these days? Is there someone you've been thinking about, someone you'd really enjoy reaching out to? I'd love to hear from you. Seriously, I would. You can connect with me on our Facebook page, on Instagram, or you can drop me an email at imissyoupodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and let me know if it would be okay to share your email on the podcast, using first names only, of course. Things are feeling safe and abundant over here. As I work on this intro, though, I'm really feeling for our friends in Texas who have been impacted by this crazy winter storm. I reached out to someone I haven't spoken with lately, my friend Jamie, who told me that he has power, but his water isn't back yet. I have some exciting news. So I'll be recording the podcast in a different studio that tickles my feminist self as a women-founded-and-led organization. Which means, more than ever, I'll need your support. And I hope you'll consider joining me on Patreon or by making a single donation. You can do both of those at imissyoupodcast.com or one of the links in our social media bios. This week, I reached out to the one and only Lady Dane. There is so much I want to say about Lady Dane, and yet I'm not even sure where to begin because we shared so much during our time together. And she is so many things. Maybe I'll just get the cliche out of the room. Although I'm not sure it's a cliche when she invented lighting up a room. I would say she's her own spotlight. We met in Washington, D.C. around 2010, I think. I can't remember exactly when and where. But it quickly led to our forming a theater company together, I think the same year. I was going through a particularly rough time when consequences of an action of mine caused me the loss of a job and severed ties with both colleagues and friends. At that moment, I really didn't have the capacity to truly sift through those repercussions. So I just swept those pieces under the rug and forged ahead, inviting a group of theater makers and artists to join me in creating work together as the new company Force Collision. Force Collision had a short but successful run. For our first performance, which we called The Nautical Yards, we gathered over 30 additional performers and live musicians to make this enormous outdoor dance theater piece in a large section of the Washington Navy Yard. The Nautical Yards saw an attendance of over 500 people gathered together on the lawn to see what we made. I was so proud of everyone. Our next production, because go big or go home, I guess, was a new play by playwright Eric N. called Shape, which examined race and genocide through the historical impact of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. This production was then again remounted in New York City at La Mama Experimental Theater Company. I miss this company dearly. I look forward to having them all together for a future episode. I'll drop some photos of our work on Instagram at I Miss You Podcast. Looking back, I realize how witnessing Dane's divine feminine energy and spirited soul made possible the exploring of my own fluidity. Not long before I left DC for Los Angeles in 2016, Dane and I had grown apart. 
It wasn't until this chat that I really began to understand what happened between us. For the longest time, I wondered, what did I do? Or how could I have done better? When a friendship that's this close frays and diverges from this shared intimate center, it's felt in the bones. I blamed myself. And now I see that my dependence on my feelings being accommodated by someone else is rooted in white-bodied privilege. What I've come to realize, and maybe she will correct me if I'm wrong, is that friendship is not so simple. There are these complex moving parts at work, and we were being guided, if by yet-to-be-named forces, down different roads towards one of our many individual junctions of healing of transformation, becoming. This has me thinking that friendship is not a binary. It's not that simple. It's not on or off, this or that. Friendships that endure must evolve as we evolve, and the world evolves around us. And this may mean giving space and time, even when it feels painful. How's the sound now? It's great. Okay, good. I put my, look at my little, you see the little sound barrier? Yes, honey. Yeah, she, be, <laughs> she be in here recording, honey. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's why I was saying it was weird because I was like, I literally just did a radio play for the Kennedy Center where I had to read the the title and the characters. Uh-huh. I'm like, there was no, no one could hear my, so yeah, child. Yeah. I don't know, you know, shows. <laughs> <laughs> where so where are you right now? I am in Piscataway People's Land, DC still. <clears throat> You're in DC. Uh-huh. Are you have you been in this apartment or wherever you are for a while? Yeah, I mean, I've been here for four years, I believe. And how is your pandemic going? Oh gosh, pandemic child. Pandemic is, I mean, it's been great to be honest with you. I mean, my, my, like my, um, experience during, um, this time has been great. Mm -hmm. Um, and also it's been, there's also been like a lot of time of reflecting and just thinking about like the country and, um, the theater and art and film and all those types of things as well um so yeah Mm -hmm. and also like a time being gentle with myself and and recognizing that like you know my my sorrow is not more sacred than my joy and that i don't have to feel guilty about good things happening to me and for me um yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i love that I love, yeah, I feel, I feel that the pandemic has been, um, well, I was calling it dark moon energy because, you know, dark moon energy is a time for like reflection and like honing in and like planting seeds, like, yeah, for like (laughs) surrounding yourself in a sort of like veil and kind of like, it's like a cocoon energy. So you're going to come out on the other end and sort of you know, 
thus free. <laughs> like a butterfly, honey. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's it's one of those times where I think that we are really um so many of us are really being invited to um also reflect, you know, like and really, really, really determine what we want the future to um be like, feel like, look like, whatever, whatever, right? Um, and I think that what we're witnessing, particularly um, with what just happened with, you know, the 6th of January and even before then, I mean, with the foundation of this country, really. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. But in this modern context with the 6th of January and kind of what's happening with, in a lot of places where there's um, a lot of white people at around the world is this um, this stagnant energy that wants to to keep and hold the world in a place um, where there is no growth and there is no change and there is no um, forward motion. And so um, energetically. Um, And so we are now in this time of reflection, in this time of, you know, thinking about things, being invited to really, really, really write the future um, for ourselves, for each other. And some people, <laughs> honey, <laughs> some people are really, really, really will be found wanting um, because they just don't want to release that white supremacist mm-hmm. ideological um, way of being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, colonial energy is going to leave you the fuck behind. I mean, colonial energy to me actively works against nature. Absolutely. Actively works against the movement of planets, the earth, where evolution, where we're growing to. And I hear you like stagnant. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And stale, yeah. honey, and stale. <laughs> yeah. Stagnant and stale. Well, yeah. How is it? So, I mean, you are in it. You're living in D.C. Yeah. This energy, well, that, especially if you want to talk specifically about January 6th, that energy is happening, like, near you. Yeah. You know, although that wasn't necessarily an energy of the people that live in D.C. proper, Right. It is an energy of the white people that inhabit the U.S., you know? Yeah. And I'm just, um, could you feel, like, the ripple of that, like, coming into D.C.? Or was it something that the city itself and the people that live in the city weren't really affected for being local? Does oh, that make I, sense? Yeah, it does okay. make sense. And I, and I, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, people in DC, I don't think that people recognize that like people in DC, you don't live too far away from the Capitol. You know what I mean? Like no matter where you live. I mean, I think maybe people on the outskirts of maybe like Southeast and Northwest that are kind of closer to maybe Tacoma. Um, But the Capitol is really close to a lot of people's houses. (laughs) Where I lived in the Southeast, (laughs) I was a walk away. When I dated Quentin, I was in the Capitol building quite often to meet them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, 
I mean, I think that something is, something is, um, there is an energy in the city. I mean, maybe it's also like folks have been in their houses for like almost a year, right? But um, there is an energy in the city that is, that that feels like the city is is demanding that the country do something different. Do something different. Be mm-hmm. different. Um, and and uh, there's also right like a certain number of folks who um, perhaps work on the hill, perhaps <laughs> um, do what they do, who are trying to have the country not do something different. And I think you can feel that those two bat you can feel that battle still happening. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, January 6th was really a moment of, um, it was, it was a moment of inevitability. Mm-hmm. It was a moment of inevitability. And, and, you know, for folks who say, oh, I could not have foreseen this coming. I'm like, have you not been living in this country? Like, <laughs> Like, do you not remember Charlottesville? Like, where, like, this orange person called, like, Nazis very good people? Like, do you not remember Nazi Germany? Do you not remember how fascism rose? Do you not remember that literally, like, Nazis got some of their, like, ideological point, talking points and and methods from white supremacists in the U.S.? Like, um, do you not remember the Confederacy and how that started? Like, and how literally um, after, you know, the Civil War, because everyone was so, uh, well, a certain group of folks were so tired of war um, that there was literally during Reconstruction, a whole movement trying to like keep the keep the country white supremacists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so like mm-hmm. I think that it, you know that the battle, that energetic battle is you you certainly can feel it in the air. And I think that no one, I will say this, I, I you know, I <laughs> were artists. And I think that what we were always told, right, in college and et cetera and et cetera, when we were younger, was that, oh, if someone can just walk, you know, if you can do the art and you can make someone in the audience who isn't you feel what you feel, they'll be changed and that they won't be... <laughs> they won't be racist no more. They won't be classes no more, right? Like, we were just... We were fed these ideas about... <clears throat> the nature of the relationship between the performer, the art, and the audience, um, not, you know, not being told the truth, which is that so many theaters, perhaps more than now, they're willing to like change and grow and do the work because of We See You White American Theater and all the work that, you know, so mm-hmm. many artists have been doing even before then in these institutions. But like, what we were not told was that a lot of these institutions themselves uphold a white supremacist ideological way of living and they operate from that framework. And so do so many of their donors and so do so many of their audience members and that they cater to that. And so um, I say all that to say about the six is that the, like so many of these people's lives were like in danger. 
Like they were saying, kill the vice president of the United States. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't speaking in metaphor. This Mm -hmm. is not some metaphorical, this is not some like metaphorical hanging of his, right, of his spirit. They were saying, kill him, Mm -hmm. literally. And so you would think that, um, that would activate something in their willingness to like disengage from certain frameworks and certain ways of being in relationship mm-hmm. to people. And um, as you can see, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, what I found with my ivy plant, which is sitting on my windowsill, that in order to get that fucking plant to thrive and grow, I need it to dig up the roots and remove the root rot. It is in it. And when it is in, when it's in the walls, you're not going to get to it by adding another coat of paint over that. So like my, <laughs> you know, this is the one of the things that I, I say about I don't, we, we haven't really caught up, but you know, I'm in this, I'm in a somatic psychotherapy program that has a big social justice lens to it. That being said, it's a 90-ish percent white faculty and student body. And there are a lot of issues in there. So a lot of the diversity work, I'm going to say diversity in quotes, and the hiring of diver- hiring and creating of departments geared towards diversity and understanding don't mean a single thing unless you do diligence and actually make radical change to populate leadership <laughs> with, with BIPOC people with people that are not white, you know? Like, right. you, I think it's, and it's what I'm hearing from you, it's like that on that recognize, oh, my life is being threatened as a white man, as a cisgender, well, heterosexual, I'll also say in quotes when it comes to Mike <laughs> Pence, white man, um, nothing, that I, that those thoughts didn't change when you were threatened by the very people of your social cultural location. It's right. because all of this shit is embedded in the institution. It's in the right. fucking walls, you know? Right. I think also we have to be very clear and I'm, you know, this is, this is not me trying to like, um, you know, as they say, demonize anyone or any of those types of things. But I think we also have to be clear that maybe there were also some people who believed that um, if it if the insurrectionists got to them, right, if the white supremacists got to them, that they would live. And I think that when we look at film of what some of the insurrectionists were actually mm. saying as they were going through papers and storming spaces. And they said, they told you who they were doing it for. And they told you who would be okay with them doing what they were doing. And then when you look at what those people who were named (laughs) um, said afterwards and how they acquitted this particular individual, um, it is very clear and listen, I get it, right? Like, honey, we're, you know, we're artists. We know all the classical plays. We're 
<laughs> we've done that. We've done the work. <laughs> we've gone through. We sit it through the archive. <laughs> so, like you know, I perhaps our perhaps our imaginations run wild, but um, but I think that I, I think that part of it is like yes, it's in the the rot too. But then there's also something insidious about about. Like, did you think you were also going to get God or did you think you would survive? And mm-hmm. what does that say about, and why would you have survived? And why would you have been able to, to walk out of that space unscathed while we know that people like, if they got to Nancy Pelosi or Mike Pence, that those people would not have survived. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, you know, even what is that conversation? And I think that, like, you know, the, the Senate and the House of Representatives don't want to have that conversation because, that you know, they're trying to appear bipartisan, bipartisan and um, they don't want to they don't want to necessarily like demonize all the Republicans and all that type of stuff. But I think that we have to have a if we are to have any form of unity in this country, we have to start to be honest about. It's it's roots. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I find it difficult to even remove notions of power from anything anymore, especially in like industrialized capital, capitalist, whether it's free market or not, society. Power is what moves the chess pieces around, you know? And once you once you get a taste of that real good thing called power, it's really hard for people to sort of walk back from that. It's just like the ball keeps rolling and wants more power as it goes down the hill. And I, you know, it's, you only really have to look to members of Congress to see ways in which that work. People that used to have maybe a more open ideology about things maybe they were a little bit more open and liberal in their understanding turn into these just like greedy wealthy (laughs) don't really give a shit about their constituents leaders and i i feel bad that i'm bad mouthing people in the government but i mean (laughs) it's i just it's true (laughs) well i think that i mean this is the thing though is i think that like there's a difference with like truly critiquing and holding people accountable um, peacefully <laughs> and saying, I'm going to vote for a different candidate or I'm going to there. It, that's a difference than like also like that's not a lie. Right. Like it, it's not a lie to say that um, it feels as if, right, there is a disconnect between some representatives and the actual needs of the people. Um, and, you know, the, the bottom line is this, is that, like, if the United States truly wants to survive and thrive, it must reckon with its past. We, How many times have historians said that for 500 years, it's not been 500 years, it's an exaggeration, um, but... <laughs> Mm-hmm. But like how how many years have I been saying that, right? Like that like we have to deal with the root causes, which is colonization, mm-hmm. white supremacy, slavery, capitalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, 
and, and, and in a way where we don't just put a bandage, we don't just put a bandage over it and say, well, you know what? We, we got some low income housing and that would fix it. It's like, we have to really confront the evils of this country in order for us to truly, truly, truly um, have a transformative relationship within the country and then also within the world. I feel like the United States has the opportunity to truly lead by example in a way that is truthful um, and truly impactful and not just an illusion of righteousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think the United States actually have the, has the opportunity to be um, the leader in this global transformative justice change that is needed, but it has to be willing to be accountable to its own past. Yeah. I always feel like debts get carried down through generations if they're not paid. And that um, uh, this could be the debt of slavery. This could be a debt within um, within a family's genealogical ladder. But if a debt isn't paid, it just it it never gets resolved. Like debts need to get paid, reparations need to happen, you know, or it just it just keeps accumulating, and then that's when that bandage. I mean, put another bandage on it; it's not going to solve it. It's right. still, it's like that. It's that wound is still festering under that band aid. Yeah, I mean, we got to deal with voter suppression. We got to deal with all that kind of stuff. I mean, I you know I feel like voter suppression is one of those things where. There are places that it it seems legal to do all of these awful things that particularly the GOP in certain areas in the country are trying to ramp up because they lost the House and they lost the Senate. And so that instead of them trying to actually change and grow and actually meet the needs of (laughs) Black and Brown Indigenous peoples, um, meet the needs of women, um, they are literally like now trying to be up to their old tricks, which we've seen time and time again since reconstruction like it's like oh so now you're just going to go back to the voter suppression bag again like that's what you're Mm going to do (laughs) not change not be better not like actually ask folks what they need and try to pass legislation that does that no you're just going to try to voter suppress i mean this and then and then i mean we can move on from this conversation but it is it is very startling and telling that constantly it's like oh we have to think about those 70 million or 74 million voters and that the conversation is never we have to think about the 80 million voters we have to we have to think about those folks who even if they do not always get it right even if child I'm rolling my eyes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Even if like... I saw it. (laughs) (laughs) They at least are determined to try um, to have something different than what we had for the past four years and what that represented. Um, Now, do I think that everybody who voted for Biden is about that life? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, right? Like some of these folks just want to maintain their privilege, their white privilege. They're they're not concerned with. Um, but I do think that this we are always taught these lessons of like, oh, well, you know, not everybody wanted slavery. Not everybody was, not every white person was bad. Some white people were good, or oh, not everybody, blah, 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 blah. 
And it's like, oh, so even in this second where you, in this moment where you actually can make a different choice, where you cannot prioritize the viewpoints of 74 million people who voted for um, someone who put kids in cages, who told, who said that Nazis are very fine people, who, uh, who um, celebrate Confederate monuments and confederate soldiers who we know that confederates were against the union against the country against the republic um who just keep listing right keep just keep listing the 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 list of awful things that 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 person is and also has done and has said out of his own mouth and um and never apologized for it and never took it back um Mm-hmm. who called insurrectionists on January 6th, who's told them that he loves them. And so, um, and called them special. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. so like, for me, it's like, oh, so y'all want to continue to tell us that we need to think about those people. When those people supposedly don't represent the ideas of most of the country, because most of the country isn't supposed to be white supremacists or X, Y, and Z. So it's like, who's zooming who? Who's lying? Somebody's lying. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, there is a disconnect here. Somebody is lying. Mm-hmm. And so, listen, let me tell you something. Mary J. Blige said no more drama in my life. <laughs> and... <laughs> A long time ago now, too. <laughs> that brought me back. <laughs> and I'm like, United States, get your shit together. Get your shit together. This is the time to do it. Truly. Mm-hmm. Get your shit together. <sighs> you have to love. This is the thing. I tell, you know, I wrote this play called um, Ghost Rider, and we were having a workshop about it. And I was saying, you know, one thing the play is telling to the white audience in particular is that you have to love black people more than you fear white supremacy. And so this country must love black people, must love indigenous people, must love women, must love trans people, must love um, gay people, must love bi people, must love disabled people, must love Asian people, must love (laughs) brown Mm -hmm. people, must love indigenous people more than it is invested in white supremacy and or fears white supremacy, Mm -hmm. period. I was just, I was, I was so, I was soaking it in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't mind pauses. (laughs) Hi, it's me. Sorry to break up the conversation, but I'm stepping into the sponsorship space. Wink, wink. For a moment to tell you about something extra special. Patreon. Patreon is a membership-based platform for content creators to earn a monthly income while providing rewards and perks to you, our subscribers. I Miss You has two recurring monthly membership levels starting at $5. So what do I get for that $5, you say? Well, my undying gratitude for one. Isn't that enough? No, it's not enough, come on. You'll get bonus content every other week, including videos by me, Patreon-only posts and updates, 
and access to the members-only Facebook group, where you can connect with me and other listeners, share stories of reconnecting, oh, and join in on a once-a-month Facebook live chat, where you can ask me questions about the show. Your monthly sponsorship supports producing the podcast, including website and other platform fees. Uh, They really add up. Recording studio rental, editing equipment, and let's be honest, probably some treats for my dog, Najdia. She's hungry. Like all the time. Visit imissyoupodcast.com for a link to our Patreon page. And if all that business isn't of interest to you, but you would still like to support the show, you can make a one-time donation through our website as well. Oh, and another way to show support is by sharing our podcast with your dog. Kidding. Sharing this podcast with everyone you know. Seriously, everyone. Now, back to the episode. How did did we meet... What is the name of the, I used to call the Foxy Brown Lounge, but it wasn't that. The Brown the Fire? Was it, is it the Fire? No, the Brown Fox. Was it the Brown Fox? It was in DuPont Circle. I, I, was it downstairs? Downstairs, yeah. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, yes. We did a show the, there. Yeah. Yeah. We did. But I feel like we met before that. I think that we met maybe at, did we meet through Shakespeare? <sighs> how i don't know i was uh, an actor i am an actor but like <laughs> along with many other things yeah i was just trying to think um because i wasn't at really at auditions well we so we started at force collision and that was in 2010 right oh lord yeah <laughs> right <laughs> And we were rehearsing at Mamacita in the Tacoma Park location. Yeah. 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 That was a lot. We were doing the most. We were, you know, I just talked to Maida the other day and we were talking about site-specific stuff and we didn't talk about the nautical yards. But um, I remember, yeah, I was, yeah, I had you doing a lot in that. (laughs) <laughs> running from place to place outside in the navy yard old child remember that there was a storm at one point and we all had to do we had to take the performance from outdoors into that like concrete structure yeah. so people didn't get rained on <laughs> yeah and then like yeah we did that and then i remember i we came in contact with eric and and Eric sent me the script for Shape that was a, was supposed to be directed by someone else who had a scheduling conflict. And then I read that. And then I, I asked Eric if you could play Cordelia. Yes. And I, yeah. And your performance in that was just like absolutely transcendent. And I was so happy we got a chance to do it again up in New York. Yeah, La Mama. Yeah, you know, I, I work. I did. Um, I did a workshop reading, a stage reading of Clytemnestra before it premiered at Theater Alliance uh, mm-hmm. two years ago, and um, I did it up at Wham. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's called No Wow. Sorry, Wow oh, yeah, Theater yeah. Cafe, which is the cross from La Mama. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was. I'm just saying, like every like when I was around there, I was like going to rehearse, and I was like, "Oh my god, the mama!" Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, 
I haven't seen you in like a hot minute. We haven't really been talked that much in a hot minute. I know. I know. I, it's one of those things where everyone's so busy. I, child, you know, I certainly am. You were like, are you free? And <laughs> I know mm-hmm. you busy. It's like our last conversation when we were planning for this was like 10 minutes. And I was like, I gotta go. I gotta yeah. like, After I get off the phone with this, I am, uh, I am, um, guest lecturing and a class about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, oh, about yeah, tomorrow. not the hooker. <laughs> not the- <laughs> 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 um, so it's so funny because it's like I'm like, oh yes, and then I still have more work to do when we get off of here tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's um, that that time with forced collision was oh my gosh, everyone was we were just doing the most, but it was really revelatory um, because. Truthfully, the truth be told, like, who was going to cast me as a leading lady back then? You know what I mean? Like, well, everyone should have been. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone should. But I mean, like, that was okay. But like, we got to be honest. That was before Laverne. That was before, you know, Laverne was on Orange is the New Black. That was before um, Janet was on, you know, Mm -hmm. had come out with her book, Redefining Realness. And, um, I think that like, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before, most certainly in the past is that, you know, one of my dreams was always to be a leading lady in plays Mm -hmm. and, um, forced collision. Like my work with forced collision gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, and through that, it actually gave DC the (laughs) opportunity, it actually, um, I was going to say gave DC the opportunity to cast me as leading ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, um, it, but what it did do was that it forced <laughs> in, in very many ways, DC theater folks to look at me differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that as I blossomed and as I really, 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 um, did the healing work, um, began the healing work and really came to terms with like, I am going to, um, embrace my womanhood. I think, you know, before that I was, you know, I was most certainly embracing, um, you know, uh, transness, um, but I wasn't fully, fully, I don't want to say out to, to everyone, but it was certainly like, okay, all right, y'all, y'all mm-hmm. need to be using, y'all need to be using she, her, hers for me. Y'all need to be, um, this is what I'm doing. Um, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all, we all knew. And also I know that like during shape, we had lots of conversations, um, but I, um, my career really, really, really blossomed. Mm-hmm. Um, after really nautical yards, because through nautical yards, you know, you introduced me to Rebecca. Rebecca cast me as Crow and Kafka. Oh yeah. And yeah. then the next year, um, and then we did Shape Force Collision. Um, and that next year, Rebecca cast me as Clessy and wedding dress. Mm-hmm. And so um, I played a goddess in the nautical yards. 
Um, and that was also powerful and deeply transformative. And so the, the work that we did in Forced Collision helped um, really, 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 I don't want to say, I don't want to say give me the means, but it like, it helped with my healing journey of like really, really, really embracing and loving my womanhood fully Mm -hmm. Um, outside of the rehearsal room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm. I love that. I didn't know that that was your experience of it. I just... Um, always would cast you as the goddess of the leading lady because that was just the spiritual energy that you gave, you know. <laughs> but yes. but yeah, I'm appreciating that you that you had that experience. Yeah, we kind of fell out of touch for a, a bit, and I know that I I was drinking, like I was I was really drinking, like before I left LA. Um, and I remember coming to like a cabaret of yours that was in like another space and I was just loud and obnoxious and I apologize for that. Um, but yeah, I, we kind of fell out of touch and I really never, I ne- really never understood exactly why that was, but I know that I, yeah, I kind of have some regrets for falling out of touch because I, we were like, I felt like our friendship was pretty deep by the time we had gone through shape, you know, but I also felt that like there were aspects, I did know a lot about you, but I thought there were aspects that I didn't know, or I just didn't understand at that point. And I kind of regret not carrying through that friendship to see you transitioning to your next stage, your next metamorphosis. You know what I mean? And maybe that was not even my space to be in, you know. Maybe I didn't I didn't I didn't need to be in that space. Yeah, I think that like um I think that yeah, I think that like maybe that wasn't maybe you need to focus on yourself and your own metamorphosis and your own <laughs> transformation. You know what I mean? Like and then, <laughs> and, then, mm-hmm. and that the universe <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> and that the universe um, was, you know, the universe had put into my life the folks who could help me through the rituals that I needed to go through in those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the universe was really putting you, putting people in your life who could help you th- through the rituals of, you know, sobriety, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, like, you know you know, I understand about drinking and Mm. folks may not know. I mean, I I do talk about, I I feel like I used to talk about it more than I talk about it now because there's like, you know, people are having conversations with me about a lot of different things. And, um, but you know, when I was young, right, like I had a, I was, Mm -hmm. I was drinking a lot and, You've um, shared that with you've shared that with me on numerous occasions. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, my you know, my path to sobriety was it took two years really. You know, I, I um got pancreatitis, I think I was 15 years old, and I, I didn't really fully stop drinking until I was 17. And it was like um 
you know, it didn't spread to my livers, but the doctor said. Mm. And so like, I am, I'm fine. <laughs> but, um, part of that was about once again, it was a moment of me art. It was art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, when I would, when I would drink the next day, I found that I couldn't really sing. And so the art, you know, and the art personified, I, you know, the ancestors through the art, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Said to me, you know, do you want to really be an artist? And if you really want to be an artist, you're going to have to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. And I met, you know, I really, I loved art. And I, and I, and I saw that, that I had the gift of art and I wanted to do that. And so I had to stop. Um, and so, yeah, I'm like, what am I, I'm not going to tell my age. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just know that it's, we don't, need, <laughs> we don't need to do that here. <laughs> <laughs> just know it's um, been a long time. And so, um, I also feel like for, I feel like also for myself, right. That. <clears throat> My, you know, there was a healing is continual. I think sometimes people talk about healing and it's like, oh, it happens once. And then it's like, (laughs) right. (laughs) Oh, you touched the hem of his garment. Now it's like, whoop, okay. Mm. Um, But But it's like, what happens to her when she goes home? And so um, (laughs) (laughs) there's like healing after healing after healing that happens. And so I think in that, you know, in those moments, for me, I think my life, the ancestors, the gods were saying, um, we're just, you know, putting me in a space where I had to focus on me and I had to focus on my um, medical transition. I had to focus on really trying to prepare um, the uh, not listen, my mom is great. You know, my mom, my mom is great. I love her. She's great. Um, but I had to really, 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 um, work on some things in my relationship with my mama. And so it's like, you can't be ha- having a whole bunch of <laughs> other yeah. things to think about other, you know, you, when you're, when you're doing that deep, deep work. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, think that time does what it does. I think that life does what it does. And I think that ancestors, Orishas, the gods do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so here we are now. You know, you really, um, you really kicked up. Well, I was going to say you kicked up in my ass, but you, you brought me back to my, those aspects of myself that are witchy. You, it's you brought me back to that with, you know, introducing me back to ritual, to ancestors, all of that stuff. And now that aspect of me, that spiritual aspect of me is quite full. And I, I quit drinking. I took my last drink as a commemoration in a way where I did a huge ritual in a storm on the beach lightning about to strike me <laughs> and I thought of you <laughs> in the nautical yards and that was the ritual I did to commemorate my last drink and I'd I've never drank it again I said I asked the, for the sea goddesses to take it yeah yeah 
but I definitely remembered remember the cold and the and the and the tech equipment too close to bodies of water in the nautical yard and the wires were getting rained on i'm like i hope we make it out of this oh my gosh it was so i mean it required, i mean it would never fly in 2021 right like it would never it would never fly in 2021 oh my gosh we were i mean I will say this. While I think it was a great experience, it was amazing, et cetera, et cetera. I'm kind of happy that theater has moved on from putting the actors in danger. <laughs> we never did. <laughs> but like Lady Dane, can you climb that rickety staircase at La Mama and sing from the top? <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, I mean, we were, I don't even want to say fearless. I would say reckless. We were very <laughs> reckless back then. Um, yeah. We were so reckless back then. But, you know, um, it, those, I will say that those experience, now listen, I'm not any of your listeners or any of the folks, I'm not telling you to be trying this shit at home, okay? Um, mm-hmm. We're saying that we were reckless, which means you don't need to do it. <laughs> we'll have um, stories, we'll laugh, but you can create new stories that are safe. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, that, you know, those times of like that collaborative experience really um, was a part of it. Some of those moments of like that collaborative interdisciplinary um, experience with the company, right? Like everyone doing different things, everyone, but everyone working together to create this thing. Um, I, you, you know, I utilize some of some of that still. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, I think about <clears throat> I, one thing that was so brilliant in shape. Oh my goodness, was the use in Act Two of the boxes and how the boxes represented different rooms at the theater. And um, mm-hmm. you know, I think about that a lot when I'm thinking about staging a show and or writing a show mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, these bitches got to go. Wait, can I cuss? Is this going to be real? Yeah, oh, we're fine. We're marked as explicit on Spotify. Okay, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know, these, I'm like, these bitches, okay, these bitches got to go all the way from Baltimore down to Florida, honey. <laughs> Do you know where, you know where I stole that idea from, right? No. So, um, um, I stole it from the Lars von Trier movie Dogville with Nicole Kidman. So on their big soundstage, rather than building a lot of the sets, they had it taped like they were in a rehearsal on a stage. And I'm like, I remember that. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. It's just tape on the floor solving you like what room you're in. And I literally stole it from Lars von Trier, who's one of my favorite directors. <laughs> I'm like, well, it worked. I, I remember every night when I did the um that was a song that I that was a song that I wrote with Eric and lyrics for Cornelia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and I remember every night people gagged. I mean, yes, it was my mm-hmm. performance. But also, it was <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it was also that like people really did 
allow themselves to be transported by way of these boxes. Because remember, I was on one end. It was in the alley for anyone who's listening. It was in the alley. Mm -hmm. So I was on one end on one stage, quote unquote. And Mm. then Frank, who played my husband, and he's my show husband, he he was on another end on another another side of the stage doing a performance. Mm -hmm. Um, And his was in silence, I think. And mine was in... I was singing. Yeah, because wasn't he cheating on you with a white woman in the yeah. alley? Yeah. Um, child, a mess. But it was <laughs> that play, um, a beautiful play and a mess. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, that was really, really, really great. And I think that DC audiences had not witnessed something so beautiful or haunting Mm -hmm. and so some reviews were like we don't we don't know what the fuck is going on in that play but ooh, baby the aesthetics the acting the you know (laughs) you know i i always i always think about things in terms of looking back on art or theater that i made i always kind of test it test it's um how good it was or how good I, at least I thought it was by if I would ever change it, if I ever did it again, if I would change it. And this production of Shape, I don't think I would ever change a thing and it, it just worked. I agree. I agree. From what I can remember, yeah. I agree with you about it. I mean, it it was, you know, it was a time in theater that was very magical realism based um, for anyone who's mm-hmm. listening. And so it, it re- I mean, I also could not imagine that show done any other way and how it was done, mm-hmm. which I think is the time. Yeah. And I mean, just talk to, to even talk about that show and the content of that show, um, which was, you know, came off of uh, 1921 Tulsa massacre, Tulsa race massacre. And that was, that was the originating story in that play, you know, with talk of January 6th, you know, I know it's it's so it's so um as January 6th happened I thought about Tulsa I thought about Slocum Texas I thought about Rosewood I thought I thought about um all of these places where <clears throat> massacres had happened I thought about um Wilmington North Carolina 1896 where there was a multiracial um legislative body that was that was elected and and white supremacists stormed the capitol it was an insurrection um at that time that worked and um they ran black folks out of town wealthy black folks um Mm -hmm. out of town and they installed their own their own people in Mm -hmm. office um and you know (laughs) so many people don't learn about those massacres. Mm -hmm. Um, So many people, and it's on purpose, right? Like it's on purpose. It's um, that, that white supremacy (laughs) colors, the (laughs) colors, the education system, the way it does and attempts to erase, right? Like (laughs) erase um, these moments um, in the history of this country. But it's like, 
Yeah, January 6th did not surprise me. It did not yeah. surprise me because um, it is it is what happens when um, it is what happens when people are more invested in civility rather than actual accountability and transformative justice and healing and change and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, t- you know, I have a play now called Ghostwriter that, that um, the first half takes place on the outskirts of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then the second half takes place in a penthouse in Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and where are you and- doing it? Where is it being produced? Or your, what stage? Your... Oh, cool. In Maryland? Yeah. Is it going to be a full production? It's going to be. We're doing a radio play version of it. Oh, cool. Um, this year. And then we're going to do the world. We were supposed to do the world premiere this in January. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be at the show now. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Um, I want to I wanna respect your time because you told me you have to leave. No, um, no, no. I was saying no. I was saying that Ghost Rider was supposed to be at Rep Stage. Oh, uh, Okay. <laughs> I'm supposed to be at the theater right now. No, no, no. <laughs> That's so silly. So I had to go after, I'm like, girl, we need to wrap it up because I got to go. No, um, it was supposed to be there now, but, you know, yeah. this coronavirus happened, honey. And so, um, mm. and so we did the workshop of it in January. Um, it's a two-hander. They play, they play two characters in Act 1 and they play, like, two characters in Act 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and next year, they they move the world premiere to next year, and it's going to be a co pro with Wham. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's super, super exciting. Um, mm-hmm. But this, you know, this story of the story of Tulsa, the story of all these massacres, um, are also in the collective memory, in the collective consciousness of this country, and. The United States got to be accountable. I want to ask you one question before we wrap up. And that's what's one thing that you're looking forward to in 2021? Oh gosh, just one. <laughs> or a baker's dozen of mem- <laughs> a baker's dozen of hopefulness. <laughs> you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to more joy. Mm. More joy. Um, more hope, more healing, more protections for, for black trans women, mm-hmm. more protections for indigenous trans women, more protections for black indigenous trans women. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, more protections for BIPOC folks and people of color and, um, us really, 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 as a, as, I will say as a, as a community, if not a country, choosing love and accountability and healing and transformation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm so glad we spent this time catching up. Yes, thank you. Thank I mean, you for I, having me on. 
Yeah, I had to do a podcast <laughs> to, to get a, to get a catch up with you. But hi, <laughs> sometimes you hi. need a sometimes you need a container. <laughs> no, I know, I know. It's 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 one of those things where, uh, yeah, you're right. Yep, you're right. You're doing all the things. Yeah, I'm so I happy know, I have, that I have 14 books published. Oh, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> 14. 14. I mean, you're on a roll. There's no stopping you. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I know. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. I'm, yeah, I'm really happy that all of this wonderful stuff is happening for you. Yeah. Thank you, love. Thank you. And it's good to see you. It's good to see you. You look great. You do too. Thanks. Do you? How do you feel? <laughs> hairy. I feel hairy. You do have like a lot of facial hair. Yeah. Work. Yeah. <laughs> Work, All <right>. honey. <laughs> All right. You have a good night. You too. Love you. Bye. Peace. Do you have any questions, feedback, or want to share a story about reconnecting? You can drop me an email at imissyoupodcast at gmail.com. Find and follow the show on Instagram at imissyoupodcast. I Miss You is hosted, edited, and produced by me, with lots of help from the universe. This episode was recorded at House of Pod in Denver, Colorado. Our podcast graphic was designed by Ian Slarsky. New episodes are released weekly on Wednesdays. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and show some love with lots of stars. It really helps. If you would like to support I Miss You, as well as get additional content and access to our members-only Facebook group, where you can connect and share with other listeners, consider subscribing to Patreon. You can find a link to Patreon in our Instagram bio or at our website at imissyoupodcast.com. And finally, reach out, connect, and spread the love by telling all of your friends about our show. Till next time, new friend. <laughs>